the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. All right, welcome everybody to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast, where we're amplifying Black voices here at UCR. We have a very special guest with us today, Vice Chancellor Brian Haynes. He's going to be talking to us about some of his upbringing and some of his experience throughout his educational and professional career, um, and how those experiences are helping him with his position here at UCR, and how we are trying to make a better place for our black scholars um, here in the UC system, but in particular at UCR. Uh, Dr. Haynes, how are you doing today, sir? Doing very well. And Dominic, thank you so much for this opportunity to join you today. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate you making the time um, for this. So um, let's just go ahead and get into it. So Dr. Haynes, if you could please just kind of give um our viewers and our audience, a little idea of who you are, um, where you come from, and how some of your early childhood experiences kind of shaped your Black identity, if you could, please. So I am a native of Columbus, Ohio, uh, specifically the east side of Columbus, Ohio. Mm. And if you know anything about Columbus, the east side is predominantly an African-American or Black neighborhood. Uh, it's been the hub of uh, black culture uh, for years in mm. Columbus. Uh, I was born and raised in that area, went to schools at least through uh, middle school in that area before we had something called forced or forced busing or desegregation, which uh, meant that uh, both uh, me and my sister were bused out of the African-American community to mm. a predominantly white school. Uh, wow. But uh, that's uh, my upbringing, and uh, I'm a proud uh, native of Columbus and the yes, East sir. Side specifically. Yes, sir. And so that's already just um, a pretty fascinating um, look into kind of some of your life. And, you know, I, I think it's very important to be able to look at some of our leaders and kind of understand who they are and where they come from so that way we can have a better um, context of the work that they're doing. Um, and in particular, you went through forced desegregation. Um, and I think that should be a pretty eye-opening to our student listeners um, that, that's not far, that that's not that far back in time um, when we're talking about these things like forced desegregation and things of that matter that affected the black community. Can you kind of talk about some of your experiences through that forced desegregation? Um, how did it make you feel? What were some of the thoughts in the black community during that particular time, positives and negatives, if you could, please? Sure. I think back to that time, and you're absolutely correct, Dominique, it was not long, long ago. In mm. fact, that was during the mid-70s, late-70s, early-80s, uh, when forced busing was actually uh, playing out across the United States uh, and really was due in large part to the fact that uh, in America, in particular, Midwest, Northeast, some of the urbanized areas, mm. a lot of the schools at that time were not integrated. 
Mm. And we know if you go back to the Civil Rights uh, Act, the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s, that was one of the major uh, pushes to integrate uh, not only the schools, but uh, obviously public transportation and other accommodations. So uh, force busing was something that a number of courts um, used uh, to integrate schools back during that time period. Mm. The impact on the community uh, was frankly negative. Uh, when I look back on the uh, impact, I mean, a lot of the uh, schools in the inner city uh, had uh, black teachers, had black principals. Right. Well, a lot of that changed when integration or forced busing occurred. Um, right. I would also say that uh, you, in essence, had what amounted to a brain drain, where a lot of the African-American students who would go to the neighborhood schools were now being bussed out of the community. And that had an impact that, quite frankly, I'm sure uh, was uh, was uh, not able to be measured. Um, yeah. One might assume that uh, the positive thing uh, was that it did uh, did cause some uh, more interaction, so to speak, uh, black kids, predominantly white kids at that point in time. Uh, but uh, I mean, it was a, it was a tough experience for both uh, uh, me and my sister, plus thousands of other uh, students uh, in the area who were bussed out of their neighborhood into uh, places oftentimes 20, 30 miles away. Wow. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the complexities about the Black experience throughout any time period, really, is just kind of like, how to how do we grapple with some of these initiatives or these institutions that implement things like forced desegregation. And when you kind of hear about desegregation, the first thing you think is like, oh, that's great. Um, people should be able to interact with each other. They should be able to occupy the same space and love each other and care for each other. Um, but at the same time, there is still an element that kind of breaks up the community. Um, and I think that can be a very hard thing for black people in particular to um, deal with. And I think we'll kind of touch back on this concept a little bit more when we start talking specifically about our students at UCR. Um, but if you can, let's kind of transition into your educational journey. Um, what was kind of some of your formative experiences throughout high school that then led you to make the decisions that you made in your pursuit of higher education? My family, in particular my mother, has always been a strong proponent of education. Mm. And uh, from an early age, uh, it was instilled in me that you were going to go to college. Uh, mm. Same thing instilled in my sister as well as other uh, family members. And uh, from my perspective, that's where it has to start. Mm. And uh, it started off with something as simple as, you're going to college, you can do it. Those words have always resonated with me. Early on, as I mentioned, uh, we went to uh, predominantly black or African-American uh, elementary schools as well yeah. as middle, middle school. Mm -hmm. In high school, I had the great privilege of uh, being invited to participate in the Upward Bound program. Wow. And I know many of our scholars today uh, have participated in Upward Bound or other trio types of programs. Yeah. And to me, that was really, really an eye-opening experience to join the Upward Bound program at Ohio Wesleyan University, actually go study on a college campus during the summers wow. of my high school, 
And I think that really helped position me for success in college. Uh, I ultimately ended up going to the Ohio State University. The I was Ohio fortunate. <laughs> yes, the Ohio State University. Right. Uh, I was fortunate enough to finish uh, in just under four years. Wow. I actually went to summer school and went straight through after starting my first year uh, in college. Uh, I took a few semesters or quarters off after undergraduate and started a master's program uh, the following fall and then went straight through a master's program, then a PhD program. And the point I want to focus in on there is I went straight through Mm. uh, undergrad, grad, and then PhD program. And Mm. I know that a lot of our students, uh, once they complete a, a bachelor's degree, think that uh, it's a you know it's time to go look for employment and that's yeah. true don't get me wrong sure. but I'm I'm a strong proponent if if you have the opportunity and if you can stay in and get your masters as well as your PhD you should do that wow. um, in in sequence and it worked for me and I tell everyone uh, that was my experience it worked for me right. might not work for you but I would seriously ask that they consider that. And all of the young people that I mentor along the way, that's that's part of the conversation that we have. And, you know, it, I, I like that you just bring up mentorship. And if you can, we're obviously going to talk about a little bit more about your thoughts on mentorship specifically and how you act that out. But can you tell us who were some of your pivotal mentors um, throughout your higher educational career for sure. Um, Did you have people that kind of put you on that path to go and pursue your master's and obtain your doctor's uh, doctorate as fast as possible? Um, What kind of inspires your belief in mentorship and why it's so important? Sure. For me, that started again at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I remember my sixth grade teacher, uh, Miss Stevens, who taught us black history But also in the sixth grade taught us the importance of education. So she was my earliest mentor, so to speak. Uh, Then uh, when I um, moved forward to college, obviously the the Upward Bound team, I remember uh, Queen de Graffenreid was her name. Uh, She was the director of the Upward Bound program, also a great mentor uh, for me. I think in terms of Dr. William Smith, who mentored me uh, uh, through college, Mm -hmm. continues to mentor me today. I think of people like uh, Patricia Teus Irvin, who mentored me professionally as well as uh, personally uh, throughout my career. So there have been a number of mentors, Dr. Alfred Matthews, who Mm. uh, mentored me along the way. Mentorship is so important uh, if you want to be a successful college student. Right. And I just encourage all of our college students to seek out mentors, especially yeah. amongst the black faculty and staff at UCR. Yeah. Um, we want to help. And uh, we, while we might not have all of the answers, most of us have many, many experiences that are relevant. Sure. And uh, our job, I believe, as a mentor is to make sure that uh, you continue with your educational uh, attainment, to make sure that you continue uh, 
uh, on your educational journey or pathway Mm -hmm. uh, like others have done for us along the way. And I can't stress it enough. uh, Mentorship is so important. In fact, uh, just this morning, I had the privilege of serving as a reference for one of my mentees. And Mm -hmm. I have the great privilege of mentoring uh, young people. And I say young people because they're younger than me, uh, primarily, uh, but Mm -hmm. uh, who are either in college or uh, recently graduated from college and are just starting out in higher education. So again, I I just want to say it one more time. If you're a student at UCR, Mm. you need to actively seek out mentors. And, you know, I I have a question um, in regards to, you know, the pursuit of your PhD and kind of what was the uh, kind of some of the influences behind that and kind of how that set your career trajectory. But I kind of want to hang on to this this topic of mentorship just really, really quick, because I do agree with you. And I think um, speaking as a young person, <laughs> um, I you know, I, once I started working professionally within higher education, I just real I instantly realized how important it is to put yourself out there to say hi to the people that are walking by you because you never know. It could be Vice Chancellor Haynes walking by you. Um, and if you don't say anything, you'll never kind of figure that out. But I also understand from a young person's perspective, especially as a young black student, um, it can be very intimidating uh, to kind of put yourself in those positions to go and talk to directors, to deans, to vice chancellors, to um, professors and stuff. Um And I think a lot of it kind of comes to, you know, when we talk about black students and their imposter syndrome, right? They have all of these accolades. They busted their butt in high school and they got to the university of their dreams. And yet for some reason, they still don't feel like they deserve to occupy this space. Um, And so I think there needs to be a very strong bridge. I think there needs to be more initiative for young people to go out and pursue the mentorship that they feel they need. But it's also very, very crucial for our elders, such as yourself, to make sure that your hand is always extended backwards to ensure the students like you can be confident, you can do this. So can you kind of speak to that relationship between the older and younger generation and how we can better assist each other in kind of bridging that gap and ensuring that our black scholars have very serious um, and adequate mentorship while also making sure that they're doing their due diligence? Yeah, and I appreciate uh, what you just said, Dominique, and and you're right. You meant you, the scenario you just mentioned was of a black student walking across campus and perhaps seeing a person like Brian Haynes and just saying hello. Yes, sir. But I also believe that the Brian Hayneses of the world mm. should also say hello, and maybe we should say hello first mm. uh, because it is sort of a, a daunting experience for uh, many black students on campus. Uh, especially the first-year students who probably don't know many people. And this is really just uh, a, a, a huge campus, and uh, they might feel lost. So uh, that that's one aspect of the, of the conversation that cannot go overlooked either. I think we who are experienced need to extend, as you say, our hand back. Uh, and, and and you also triggered another thought, if I may, yeah, uh, when you mentioned imposter syndrome. Yeah. That is why every student who I mentor, every um, new student affairs professional that I mentor, I tell them, you can do it. 
Right. I mean, many people have come before you and you can do it. Yes, uh, but it's just those words of encouragement that are so important uh, for uh, students of color, but in particular, black students right. uh, on a college campus, because you're right. The, the system is not necessarily set up for you. Absolutely. Uh, and you have to seek those answers out through mentors. Uh, you have to seek out the information through other students who might be juniors or seniors. Sure. Um, you mentioned talking to directors, Dominique. And, you know, one of the things that um, that I do even today is uh, there are individuals who I'll just drop a line, an email line to and just say, hey, you know, can we chat? I noticed you've done right. X, Y and Z. Um, but early on in my career, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. But it, wow. it, but now I'm comfortable doing that. And my point is, uh, oftentimes it starts with something as simple as an email yes, or sir. a phone call. And uh, we're here and we, and we want to support students and uh, we will reach back out uh, if students reach out to us. So to me, men mentorship is not a passive activity. And really, right. that's what I'm trying to say here. It's a give and take. And you have to be assertive and actually want the information. You have to want the guidance. It is not a passive activity. Yeah, absolutely. Um and so I, I kind of want to come back to this conversation a little bit, but I definitely want to talk to your experience throughout your uh, PhD program. Um, and because even in current times, we hear stories all the times about how black students that are pursuing these masters and doctorate level degrees, how oftentimes they find themselves as the only black person um, in these spaces. And I can only imagine during the time where you were growing up and obtaining your PhD that you faced some of those similar experiences. So can you kind of talk to some of our students who do want to pursue doctorate degrees, who want to pursue other forms of advanced degrees? Can you kind of talk to them about your experiences and some of the things that helped push you through some of the struggles that you had to face um, in obtaining your higher degrees? Well, I'll just start with the initial, uh, the, the, the current data. So yeah. when you look at some of these PhD programs and when you look at some of the professional uh, program numbers, even today, uh, the numbers have not changed much from the time I was in a graduate program. Right. And that's another reason I strongly encourage all of our students who can do it to start a master's program and a PhD program mm. to go straight through, mm. uh, because we need you. Uh, the I'm world sorry. needs you. The country needs you. Uh, my experience as a a PhD student was really one that was all about leadership. Um, uh, I, along with three other black graduate students, we founded what was called the Black Graduate Council at mm. Ohio University. And uh, our underlying premise was uh, we wanted to help the university increase the numbers of black students in the master's and Ph.D. programs. So right. we came up with this idea that who better to recruit black graduate students than black graduate students. And so we <laughs> Crazy actually, idea. Yeah. So we actually started this organization. And I am pleased to say that that organization is still operational today. Wow. And it's my understanding of. I read in uh, one of 
the Ohio University newsletters about three years ago that the group still engages in similar activities, going out, helping academic units recruit black graduate students. So for me, that organization really helped me. It grounded me when I was working on my Ph.D., uh, also positioned me to work with other administrators on campus, the provost, the president, and others that I've alluded to. So the Ph.D. program for me was all about um, leadership and and looking behind uh, myself, so to speak, and really thinking in terms of how I can help the next generation. And uh, I think we were successful uh, in doing some of that with the formation of the Black Graduate Council. But but you're absolutely correct, uh, Dominique, in one point you make. Um, certainly the reason we felt a need to do that mm. is because the numbers in the uh, PhD programs were so low. Right. Uh, and again, it's unfortunate across many campuses, the numbers are still low. Mm. Um, but again, I want to stress something I mentioned earlier in this conversation. Right. Um, equity, justice, uh, not a passive activity. You have to take action. And action is the only way to really make impactful change. And so uh, this group, I think, helped to bring about some change at the university. Uh, I will also say uh, there were many times that I was the only black student in class. Sure. Um, I know that that happens at, uh, in the graduate programs today across the country. Right. Uh, but I would encourage those students who find themselves in those situations, I'll just remind them you can do it. Others have done it before you. And uh, when in doubt, seek out a mentor, seek out someone who might have gone through the same program that you're currently in. Um, There are people here who can help. Uh, Don't think you're in it alone. Absolutely. um, And, you know, I again, I just think that it's so critical when we find ourselves with, you know, people in leadership positions that we want to give students that context, right? Um, mm-hmm. If a student knows what Dr. Haynes has gone through and some of his experiences, it makes Dr. Haynes that much more relatable. And maybe I, I, I do have the confidence or maybe I actually can go and knock on the door of the vice chancellor's office and actually speak to him and not just get forwarded to you know someone else. I think that's so critical. And so just to kind of continue on with your PhD and kind of transition into some of your professional um, career experience. Um, Did you always know that you wanted to work in higher education? I believe when we previously spoke, you said you got your PhD in um, administrative educational administration. So was working in higher ed or education something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or did you kind of find that passion through your advanced degree pursuit? Uh, Yes, I actually found that passion through my uh, advanced uh, study Uh, Mm -hmm. Coming out of uh, high school, um, I initially thought about law school, um, but uh, once I started my um, master's program, Ph.D. program, it just seemed like there were so many more opportunities availed themselves. And I did not know student affairs was even a profession until I started uh, my graduate work. And um, That's another takeaway for all of our students who will listen to this podcast. Mm. Um, 
stay flexible, go yes. where the opportunities are. And uh, it's unfortunate, but oftentimes in our communities, uh, we're sort of pigeonholed because we sure. don't know where all of the opportunities are. And I would just encourage uh, our uh, entering students as well as our continuing students or those even in a graduate program, keep your eyes and ears open, so to speak. There is There are many opportunities out there. And so for me, uh, student affairs is something that I never thought in terms of doing. Uh, but when I started uh, my PhD program in particular, uh, the opportunities just availed themselves. And as they say, the rest is history. And and uh, I'm, I'm just really excited to work with students who have so much potential. Right. Because oftentimes I see myself through those students. And again, right. that's why I love to mentor students. And I do a fair amount of uh, talking and coaching to uh, right. students, again, uh, around the country. Now, um, and that's, you know, that's really amazing. And so taking kind of that passion that you discovered through some of your more advanced studies, kind of give us a, a, a quick snapshot of your professional career and how it inevitably led you um, to being the vice chancellor of student affairs here at UCR. So when I finished my, well, when I was working on my doctorate degree at Ohio University, uh, I had the privilege of uh, being hired into an interim role. I started out as a graduate assistant, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, there was an opening in the student activities office, and they asked me to step in to an interim position, which I did. And uh, then shortly thereafter, uh, another full-time position uh, on campus opened up in a program, a TRIO program called the Health Careers Opportunity Program. Mm. And the underlying premise of that program was to get more black students involved in the allied health professions, mm. uh, physical therapy, nursing, uh, occupational therapy, hearing and speech sciences, those types of programs. And uh, from that program, I actually uh, ascended to an assistant vice chancellor's position uh, at East Carolina University. And uh, the wow. point in mentioning my experience at East Carolina uh, mm -hmm. As an assistant vice chancellor, given my educational background and experience, uh, I ascended to that role at age 26, which wow. uh, was one of the um, early, uh, early or, or younger uh, AVCs uh, in, in a role like that. And uh, mm -hmm. I, so I've worked at East Carolina University. Uh, I've worked at um, the Florida Board of Regents. I've worked at Florida International University in Miami, uh, Clayton State University in the Atlanta area, uh, Cal State San Bernardino, um, Ohio University early on in my career, uh, Gettysburg College, and now University of California, Riverside. And really, it's that passion for learning, that passion for higher education. Uh, I view my role uh, something um, larger than a VC role. I know that um, my visibility is important, especially mm. for students of color, in particular African-American students. So I don't take that lightly. And um, for me, uh, it's just a passion for working in higher education and trying to give back uh, as much as possible to 
uh, future generations. Yeah, and you know, in, in one of our previous conversations, you know, we we talked about Dr. Cornell West, right, and his yes. philosophy of black faces in high places don't necessarily mean that um, that's for the betterment of the people or for the liberation of the people. And so, I, you know, I, I think it's very important that you're expressing that you view your role as more than just simply a vice chancellor. Can you please share with our audience, like, what are your thoughts about kind of that sentiment we discussed with, about Dr. Cornell West and how you make sure it's important to make sure that you're representing even at an executive level position? Yeah, I think given the uh, low numbers of uh, African-Americans, uh, people of color in these administrative roles, especially yeah. at R1 campuses, and that's Research One campuses across the country, from my perspective, clearly our role has to be larger than, quote unquote, our role. Right. Uh, and and uh, you're right, uh, Dr. West, I've had the privilege of hearing him speak before, mm. Um there are many people, perhaps, who are in some of these positions who don't view themselves as role models, do not view themselves as mentors, um, aren't necessarily as inclined to give back. Uh, that's unfortunate. And we know right. that that happens. And, um, you know, I would just say to uh, students who seek out individuals and that happens, I, they hit a roadblock because a person might feel that way, a black person in this case. There are many, many others on campus who do not feel that way. Absolutely. And um, there are, I'm sure there are others on campus who they can make a connection with. But it's just something you have to seek out. You have to seek these individuals out. Yeah. The good news is with the Internet the way it is today, uh, oftentimes you can pull a person's CV or right. uh, do a LinkedIn search or something right. along those lines, and you can tell if a person has been actively engaged in the community mm -hmm. or actively engaged in activities that might be congruent with uh, your philosophy. So, um, again, I, I would just I, I agree with Dr. West and the comment uh, that he made. Uh, but I would just say, don't let that hinder you Absolutely. Uh, if you are seeking out. Uh, assistance uh, from a black person on campus or right. black person on another campus. There yes, are sir. others out there who are more than willing to help you. Yes, sir. Um, beautifully said, beautifully said. So just to kind of dial in as we get ready to close our interview in a few short minutes, just to kind of dial in on some of the work that's taking place at UCR to uh, make sure that future generations of black scholars uh, are, are, you know, being supported and helped um, push towards their success. Can you talk to us about some of the current or past initiatives that you have personally been working on um, in concerning to the black student experience here at UCR? Sure. And uh, I, um, I take uh, the black student experience at UCR uh, really seriously. Uh, and our ultimate goal is to transform the student experience uh, not only for black students, but all students uh, at UCR. So uh, what we've been able to do is uh, through primarily ASP is uh, think in terms of innovative uh, programming that meets the needs of today's current uh, black student. Uh, we've also worked with other departments on campus to um, uh, perhaps uh, increase the number 
a black faculty and staff on campus, mm -hmm. which also is uh, part of the black student experience on campus. We've worked with community groups to do similar things. And, and let me just say for the record, there's a strong partnership uh, on campus with community groups, in this case, um, primarily African-American community groups uh, off campus. Uh, the Greer right. Concerned Citizens Group is uh, the first group that comes to mind. But there's also the NAACP and other local groups that are doing great work uh, in the Riverside community. Mm. And uh, side note, I would encourage uh, all of our students to not only engage in campus-based activities, but community mm. activities as well, yes. uh, especially if you're not uh, native to the uh, Riverside area. So right. uh, there are a lot of partnerships, and that's really been my approach mm -hmm. uh, to really transforming uh, the black student experience, in this case, uh, on campus, going out, seeking out those partnerships, creating those pathways so that uh, students can connect not only with uh, black faculty and staff on campus, mm -hmm. but community members off campus. Absolutely. And in your experience, since you've been in your role here at UCR, kind of give some of our prospective students an idea of how how involved the current generation of black scholars at UCR is. Um, we've seen our black scholars from the Black Student Union um, put forth demands to our academic Senate and actually see some change come about from those demands. Can you kind of speak to how you observe the, 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 the self-advocacy that comes from our black students to kind of paint a picture for our prospective students? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, activism is necessary at mm. this point. And again, I just think back to my career, and I think in terms of the organization that I mentioned, uh, the Black Graduate Council at Ohio mm. University, that's one right. example. But I was also involved in the Black Student Union um, while in college as well. I mean, activism is a part of college life. Mm -hmm. And uh, from my perspective, uh, oftentimes the administration does not necessarily know what the real issues are right. unless students bring those to our attention. Right. Now, I've been around long enough to know what the primary issues are, sure. but there might be specific issues that uh, we're not aware of. And so right. I always encourage students to bring issues to our attention before they reach a boiling point or a point of no return. Mm -hmm. um, it's so important. That's the way change has always occurred in America mm -hmm. and really throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you, and again, I've used the word uh, passive, and I'll say it again. Uh, you cannot be passive uh, regarding these issues. If something is wrong and you know it's wrong, I think you have an obligation to speak up and speak right. out about uh, that, uh, that activity. No, I think that's um, perfectly said as well. And, I, you, and, you know, I think one thing that's important to try and get um, black scholars to understand, but black people at large, is um, that self-advocacy, that initiative to make demands and to be proactive instead of passive in kind of mm -hmm. like your advocacy, that is what's going to kind of spark the institutional change um, that is so 
necessary and so much needed across many institutions of um, our country, making sure that we are not simply putting a Band-Aid over a problem, but actually getting to the root cause of what we identify as an issue um, and making sure that we can properly address it. And I think students taking that initiative and putting themselves in front of people like Dr. Haynes is how we can get to that um, next step of how do we institutionalize um, this change that we're seeing benefit our students. Is there anything you'd like to add to uh, that point in terms of institutional change? Sure. And I think it's timely for us to be reminded of uh, where an iconic civil rights leader got his start. John Mm. Lewis, the Honorable John Lewis. And I think we know his pathway was through the a student nonviolent coordinating committee, a group of college students. And if you recall, they started the Freedom Rides to Mississippi. Yeah. They also, that group led the, um, the march uh, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which ultimately became a Bloody Sunday. Then a couple mm. of weeks or so after that, uh, Dr. King led a march of thousands across the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, from uh, Selma to Montgomery. So, uh, you know, I think in terms of uh, the um, lunch counter boycotts, which were started by college students. So uh, college is a time for activism. College is a time for change. College is a time for making change. Um, And so I would just encourage all of our students to think critically about issues. um, and again, if something's not right, bring it to our attention uh, and uh, hopefully we can work together to fix it. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so I think that kind of segues us into our last question of the interview. Um, and with all of these topics, you know, it's very important that our students realize that they are standing on the shoulders of the people that came before them um, and the people that came before them had an un wavering um, optimism and hope for their future generations to reap benefits that they themselves couldn't reap. And so in the spirit of that, um, I'd like for you to present to our um, prospective Black students, um, what is your most optimistic vision of the future um, for prospective and future Black scholars that come through UCR um, on their pursuit of higher education? Uh, a thriving campus culture uh, for black students, a thriving off-campus culture for black students. Yes, sir. Um, all black students coming to UCR being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, our equity gaps are pretty low at UCR, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not going to rest until all, all of our students, uh, black students who come to UCR, um, are successful. Uh, creating programs that support the needs of today's black student. Mm. I'm not unmindful that the things that work for me probably won't work for the majority of today's black student, especially given um, uh, the proliferation of social media and technology. Mm. Um, I would say uh, black students... um, working together, getting along. And I, and, and I want to stress that point because one of the things I remember about my college experience was, and it was probably because the numbers were so low, 
but there was a lot of unity across mm. organizations. Mm -hmm. And so I think the unity uh, brought us closer together. We were able to right. impact change because of that unity. So yeah. that's sort of my uh, uh, vision uh, for the black student experience uh, here at UCR. And of course, part, part of that is we need more black faculty and staff on campus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, we also need um, more by way of uh, community connections. Yes, sir. Uh, so it's more of a holistic, comprehensive sort of strategy, uh, I think, that's uh, so, so important uh, for black student success. Thank you for that. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's a great way to kind of conclude our conversation in terms of the vision for the future and making sure that black students understand that um, they are going to be the change that they want to see. Um, mm -hmm. And it's our job as professionals, as leaders, um, to make sure that we're instilling those values in the younger generation and making sure that we're doing our part to put them um, in these positions to um, be successful, right, and to kind of tackle these problems head on. Um, so, Vice Chancellor Haynes, I, I, I want to thank you for such a great conversation. Um, thank you for joining us on the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. Um, and at this time, I would just want to ask you one more thing. Um, if students are kind of looking to get, prospective students in particular, are looking to get um, more involved and more active about their pursuit to come to UCR and to hopefully contribute to the black experience here. Do you have any um, programs or any opportunities that you could plug for our students um, who are looking to pursue UCR in the coming years, um, how they can get more active and get involved here at the black experience on campus? Sure. A good starting point would be through African student programs Mm. Uh, there are a number of involvement opportunities through uh, that office. Yes, uh, another starting point would be the Student Life Office. Again, okay. great opportunities through Student Life. Uh, another starting point might be our student government, uh, Associated Students of UCR. And uh, let me say this. Um, I think we have so many black students who have leadership potential but for many reasons decide against uh, running for office on campus or joining mm. a club that, um, let's say traditionally, uh, large numbers of black students have not been a part of. Right. I would say we need to remove that thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say that um, another strategy is to seek out uh, black faculty and staff. There are a number of academic clubs Right. Uh, that are thriving on campus. My overarching point, Dominique, is involvement is the cornerstone of excellence on a campus. So mm. you have to be involved in meaningful activities, and those meaningful activities will help you ultimately with retention and graduation and even life after UCR through the yes, networks that you might establish through your involvement. So absolutely, um, you have to be involved. And again, it, it's not a passive activity. I just don't think you come to college and all you do is uh, you go to class. You might right. work 10, 20 hours a week. There's more to college than that. I think absolutely. you miss out when that's all you do. 
Absolutely. And I, I, when I work with students, I always tell them you need to extract as much value out of your university as possible, whether yes. that means health and wellness, psychological services, career services, mentorship, academic research, job opportunities, networking. I mean, there's so many assets that come on a university campus. And if you're not walking around campus, if you're not knocking on doors, if you're not walking into these offices, you are letting so much value value escape uh, your college experience. So I just definitely want our prospective students um, to keep that mindful. So Dr. Haynes, thank you so much for joining us on the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. I really appreciate it, um, your time, your knowledge, your mentorship. Um, and I hope that we can count on you to be a guest to further this conversation in the future. Um, we think you'll be a great addition to come back to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. Thank you so much, Dominique. And again, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this afternoon. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later. Yeah.